Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Craig Race is back to talk about fourplexes, as of right fourplexes, what's going on with them. Uh, there's no development charges, some CMHC financing updates, some of his young clients are really tackling these projects. This is in regards to specifically Toronto, but the trend of as of right fourplexes is spreading right across the province, so definitely something uh, for us to be aware of. He's talking about sixplexes and where we're headed with that, and some of the multi-unit opportunities in Toronto and what he's seeing. So Craig race, if you're not familiar with him, has spoken at the at a Your Life, Your Terms event in the past. He's an architect who makes the most beautiful de designs for multi-units, but not just that they look pretty. It's that the design has in mind sound issues, access issues, so they're easy to rent out. You'll hear him describe that. He's just a really smart guy. We're really pumped that he's back on to share this information, and that's what we're talking about on this particular episode. You're going to love it. And if you are listening to this and it's 2024 and you want to change your mindset, you want to surround yourself uh, with people who are actually doing things right in this area, it's probably time for you to check out the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. You can find out all the details of what we're doing there at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. So if you see the events and the classes, there's over 20 classes for members. The events now, at the last event, we had over a thousand people. That was our, our largest one ever. So if you want to try to understand what is going on with this local group here, you can find all the details at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, Craig Race, you're back, and um, you're just back from Tampa because you're a huge. You were just finishing telling me how great of a Tampa you're a huge Tampa Buccaneers fan. Like you, you've been trying. Yeah, right. no, <laughs> oh I, my God, I've never seen Craig. Your face just dropped when I said that. You're like, what the heck is this guy yeah, saying? I'm an Eagles fan for better or for worse right now, and uh, they just got smoked by the Bucks in the playoffs. Wait, how does somebody from you're? Are you born in Toronto? Uh, more or less. I was born in Brantford. Brantford, that's a, right. And I grew up around Toronto, and I've been in Toronto for a long time. But yeah, the, I, the Phillies. So the I became an Eagles fan because the coach from my university. I went to the University of Oregon. Their coach became the Eagles coach. Oh, got it. And so I needed an NFL team to cheer for, and I, that was as good a reason as any. He ended up doing a horrible job, and the team collapsed. But I just kind of stuck with it, and. Then they won a Super Bowl, and I felt good about was it again. Was the Super Bowl 2017? Uh, 18? I think it was more recent than that, but no, yeah, it might, it might have been that. No, no, I don't think so. I think you it's been a long right. time ago, Craig. You're getting old, man. It's part of his. I'm, jo <laughs> I'm joking. You're speaking to a Leafs fan. I haven't. I don't have a. I don't have a cup in my lifetime. Um, but University of Oregon. How did you get there? Uh, they have a great architecture program. Huh. They really focus on urban design and sustainability in addition to just typical architecture, which are both passions of mine. So, it so you knew going into school, you knew this is something that's up my alley. I want to be an architect. I like design. This is for me. Yeah. And I also saw... The Pacific Northwest was just a bounty of good housing policies and good design. Vancouver had their laneway suite thing going at the mm. time. So there was a lot happening in that area of North America. 
And uh, I wanted to go immerse myself in it. And it paid dividends because when I came back to Toronto, you know, we could learn from their examples and enact policies in this area that were better and steal their design ideas and adapt them to our climate. So it was great. I loved it. So you got, you know, because I know you were involved in the, am I saying this correctly? It was the, is it the bylaw that got laneway housing? That's right. That idea came from what you saw out in BC? More or less. uh, We were aware of the Vancouver laneway policy since before I went to grad school. Um, It had been around for a long time. Even cities like Ottawa already had a laneway policy. It was happening. Toronto was a little late to the party, really. But yeah, my group started advocating for it, and uh, we were part of the driving force that got it passed. The impact you're having is kind of freaky because now I have uh, multiple people I know in Kitchener. I know it's not Toronto. Mm -hmm. They're doing like garden suite. Like this all kind of started with that. Like I never heard anything about this. Then laneway housing gets passed and then you hear talk about garden suites and it's all kind of associated. And you know, I I get zero credit for any of that. Like we we helped with the laneway policy in Toronto, but since then provincial policy has mandated that every municipality has to have accessory dwelling policies. So garden and suites and laneway suites are mandatory. Same with now, they've mandated minimum of three units as of right on every lot in Ontario. So the province has really identified that, you know, smaller scale builders and everyday homeowners can help with our housing issues and our supply constraints, and they've enacted policies to make it happen. So three unit as of right, but is it dependent on each municipality's bylaws around parking and setbacks? And Of course, things? how you do it is up to the municipality, but you can no longer say you're not allowed to have three units on a site. They have to have a framework where it's possible to go do it. Okay, got it. And I think that's why, just to bring up the Kitchener one's recent, that's why I'm just bringing it up, is that I know multiple people put dropping garden suites in the backyards of different properties that are wide enough. And uh, it's interesting because when we started this business in 2008, you never saw that. Like that wasn't even yeah. a topic of discussion. Now to see it's kind of quite normal where people are, li- they're living in the home and they're adding it on for like in-laws and then other people are, have a proper rental property, proper mm-hmm. second suite already created in that house and now adding a third suite. And it's just changing the numbers for investors on this property. So do you think, uh, you know, I guess how, b- Are you optimistic that some of these things kind of ease some of the housing burden and lack of supply that we have in this province? You think this trend can actually push some supply in a meaningful way? Yeah, it is. Um, It's going to take a long time for our housing issues to level out. But there's no question. I mean, in Toronto alone, we're seeing hundreds of units built in laneways and in backyards and in multiplexes. Um, and that's that's starting to absorb the population growth. And now it's happening in municipalities like Kitchener. I've got a multiplex in Oakville, which I never thought I'd ever say. No, Oakville. Come on, multiplex? What's going on? I know. I know. <laughs> but they can't stop you now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is a problem. We want everyone to be addressing it from mm-hmm. institutional developers that build high rises to moms and pops that want to build an income suite. You know, we need a full spectrum of housing solutions. And we're finally getting there. How, how old are you? 38. 38. So if for your generation, your friends, what is the context in which they look at housing right now? Does everyone kind of just shrug their shoulders in your network? Like you're deep into this, obviously, but I'm just trying to get into the brain of someone who's your age in your network. So everyone just kind of shrugged their shoulders and like, yeah, it is what it is. Prices are kind of sort of unaffordable and we should have to deal with it. Like what, what's the mindset out at the 38 year old? It's definitely uh, just a problem to solve. Uh, it's a lot harder to buy a house than it was a generation ago, uh, but that's just the context we're dealing with. 
What I like about it is people can now say, okay, I have to earn more money to own a house or I can make my house work for me. I can build a laneway suite or a garden suite, put in a basement apartment. I have so many friends that put in basement apartments just to help cover their mortgage payments. Now they can make their house something that's productive and use a portion of it to live in, which is pretty cool. And like, really that's, I think the ticket to solving our supply constraints at the small level, like in neighborhoods, where we have schools and parks, we need those kinds of solutions with people putting their houses to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, t- yeah, so talk to me about what you're, what's coming to mind with you around fourplexes and, you know. This is the new thing. This is why we're here today. Yeah, so t- tell me what, <laughs> what's top of mind when I say fourplex to you. Well, you know, Toronto's still leading the way when it comes to dense housing policies. And last summer, they created a fourplex policy where any property in Toronto can have uh, as of right entitlements for four units. So your main house, they made it a lot easier to build a bigger house, proper three stories, they simplified the bylaw. So now we can put a fourplex on any property in Toronto without going to committee of adjustment, Mm -hmm. which is a game changer. Like it used to take almost a year to get approvals for that kind of thing. And you had a low success rate and you had to go through appeals and it was expensive and there were a lot of unknowns. Now I can tell you with 100% certainty before you buy a property exactly how much density you can get and the timeline to get your building permit, which is under half a year now. And some of the constraints around that, some of the biggest ones you're seeing are what? Just lots, just sheer lot size? It's pure dimensions. So yeah, okay. the bigger the lot, the bigger the house. And it's it's very logical in that respect. And so on small lots, you obviously have small units in a fourplex, like bachelors and one beds. Uh, but if you get a good size lot, even like a 20 by 130 lot or 120 lot, it's easy to get all two bedroom units. And you can also do a laneway or garden suite in the back to get to a total of five. Mm-hmm. So is this what you did with that one property where we took some videos out? Was this that or this was triplexes that you built with the laneway that made it a fourplex? I forget. What was that? Those were. So that's our Tarragon Village project, which Which is uh, beautiful. We looked at together and that one started. That's a good comparison. First of all, it was a severance. So we took a lot and split it into two. And that's still the same process. um, And that takes time. But what's different is there, we built two fourplexes and two laneway suites. Mm -hmm. And today that would be as of right. So if the lots were already severed, we would not need committee of adjustment for that. Which you did when you did that project. It took us forever because we actually got it approved at committee of adjustment, but a neighbor appealed it. Just a NIMBY neighbor Mm -hmm. spent almost a year dragging my client through an appeal process that was so egregious he my client got costs awarded because oh no i wasted so much time eventually we got that through and he was able to build it but not without you know well over a year almost two years of just going through approvals and now it's minus six it's, months it's done so he bought okay so now you're saying you don't have to go through that process to build it you have an as of right and he bought this one lot that happened to work where he could sever it into two lots build two fourplexes and a laneway so he turned basically an old single family lot into a 10 units yeah that's just insane well and, and so not only did he have to go through that difficult process but he was dealing with development charges and um you know, other challenges that have since been solved by better policy. So now also in Toronto, we can build a fourplex and a laneway or garden suite with no development charges. 
And that's new as of this year? That's uh, midway through last midway year. through last, last year. Summer. So now in Toronto, you want to build a four, four unit. You can do it as of right. And you can do it with no development charges. That's right. And that's like hundreds of thousands of dollars in cost. And that, I mean, the reason for it is the city is seeing this as an opportunity to add housing supply mm -hmm. and they're incentivizing people to do it. So if you're thinking about building a custom home, instead, you just add a few more units, a couple more HVAC units, a few more laundry units, and suddenly you've added five units instead of one and they generate much better revenue. And they're really exciting. And then the lots in Toronto, we talked about this last time you were on, but the lots in your in Toronto that you see, you think there's enough lots that can make, uh, now that I've seen your designs, I pretty much know the answer, but you can make these nice, livable, good size units. We've done a fourplex and a laneway suite on a lot that was, I think, 17 by 120. 17 wide. So you're taking the whole width? Like, can you walk on the side of these? There's one side yard. One side. Small side yard. Other side was a party wall. But, and my point with that is you don't have to do that all the time, but mm. it's possible on almost any lot in Toronto. Obviously, our clients that are specifically uh, procuring sites for this model, they want 22 feet or greater. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's possible anywhere. So this to me, and we were talking about a little, little bit about this before we started recording. To me, this just seems like the opportunity in Toronto going forward. Like the big developers aren't playing in this space. To me, you know, the big developers are still doing subdivisions, big condos. Mm -hmm. Right now, they're not. I guess somebody could deploy crews and do this on a you know multiple kind of project basis. But right now, big builders are not playing in the space. The very beginning investor is also not playing in the space. They're typically going to buy a condo to rent out or maybe a single family home, town or semi somewhere in the suburbs to build out. Very few people are going into Toronto and building this stuff. I know maybe you see it and maybe you think it's more common than I think because you're in it. Right. But to me right now, this feels like an opportunity that has like a 10 year runway that's just for whoever wants to get into it. And I was mentioning for my son and some of his friends, I keep bringing this up as like, holy shit, if you're going to do something, pay attention to this trend in Toronto right now. When I, when I say yeah. that, what comes to mind for you? Uh, that you're exactly right. It's weird because my clients are my own age now. Like you said, they're not a first time investor. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're coming from an institutional background, but they're either at a medium or a small shop, maybe that they've started themselves. And they're trying to turn this into an opportunity that they can access with a relatively small amount of capital and then scale. Because also with five units on a law, you're eligible for CMHC financing. So they're all using the MLI select program to get uh, better than bank financing terms and continue to redeploy their capital. Um, and it's awesome because it, it really is people who are young and they want to build a business around this typology. So they're acquiring properties, trying to execute them fast and then continue to rinse and repeat. So what is the bottleneck now then? I guess it's just fine. Someone like you knows the design. It's construction. Finding the labor, finding the contractors who can build this properly and well. And you must be dealing with some good contractors already, yeah. but you just need more of them. And I guess over time, as more projects are done, that experience is going to build in. But this is where the young generation, if they're coming into construction now and learn this, there's an untapped opportunity for them to specialize in this. Yeah. And honestly, it's been a revolution in policy and in the ability to finance these things. Like That has changed orders of magnitude in the last few months and few years. So 
everything has gotten out of the way except for the fact that uh, a guy hammering a two by four takes the same amount of time today as he did 30 years yeah. ago. Damn, AI can't do that. Um, <laughs> so what happens to social service? So now we're gonna put more people into the city of Toronto. This is a good thing, we need housing. Do you have any concerns? And I guess that just goes to basic concerns that we all have at all times, but I guess with more people, density increases, social services then, um, hospital needs, all that kind of stuff in the city has to be eventually relooked at, but I guess that's oh, yeah. further down the road. Look, and this has knock-on effects. I think the way I look at it is I'm an architect, my clients are developers and builders, you know, we're dealing with the problem at hand in that we have essentially a zero vacancy rate in Toronto and we want to do something about that. I think there's a much bigger discussion about the population of Canada and how we're addressing that. But um, that's for a different podcast mm. and for someone that knows more than I do about those topics. Right now, we've got demand for housing and a need to fulfill it. And really, that's all the people in my industry and I are trying to solve. Yeah, I, it's it, your age group, I guess, specifically. Then this seems like I wonder if, if your friends and I'm just thinking me looking at this it looks like the opportunity uh, untapped opportunity for investors. I wonder if your generation really understands what they're facing now. All your friends have built in second suites, it sounds like, or somebody, I guess knowing you, eventually someone's gonna build in something. They hear what you're doing. <laughs> like, I mean, I also have lots of friends that just buy a house and live in it. That's still- Okay, and that's what I guess I wanted to from. ask, like from your network or from what you're seeing, is it still possible then to leave school, get some a job, start building a family and buy a house in Toronto, you're seeing people still do that. Sure, I mean, it's... Nick and I were arguing about this the other day. I'm like, Nick, that ship has sailed. Like, there's just <laughs> nobody doing that. It depends on the job. Yeah, okay. So a, a good enough income, you can still pull it off. And it depends on where you're buying a house. So there are a lot of ways to deal with that, just so when it comes to how your family's mm. looking at housing. But if you want to live in Leslieville in a single family home with no secondary suite, you need a really good job. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing anyone uh, leave the city from your network? Yeah. Yeah. Especially during the pandemic, a lot of my friends who were new to the kid game, the parent game, uh, they made a run for the suburbs and they'll never come back. They'll ne never come back. They, don't, doesn't, doesn't they haven't like come it. back yet? We'll see. Okay. I'm trying to convince them to put them into a nice fourplex in uh, Midtown, but we'll see if they can come around. So when these projects, okay, so when these fourplexes are done, how have, what have you, have you been surprised at anything on the rents that they're getting or, or how long they're taking to rent out, whether it's quick or long? What are you seeing when the project's completed and then it goes to occupancy? My insight on that is anecdotal from my clients, but I understand it's been going swimmingly. I mean, like I said, Toronto has basically zero vacancy in all units. Um, so no matter whether you have a one bed or a two bed, those go like hotcakes. The bigger units that we fit into fourplexes, because mm -hmm. like they're big enough that you can do three and four bedroom units in them pretty easily. Those ones take a while to rent. Some of our clients who are really trying to be revolutionary are looking into the rooming house changes that are happening and trying to go with separate tenants per room. So we have a few projects where each bedroom will have its own ensuite and kitchenette in addition to the common living space in a unit. So Why rooming houses are coming back as a thing in Toronto? There have been some changes recently that ease it a little bit and huh. hopefully more coming this year. Okay. Um, my, my, my family, we lived in a room, like my parents' first house in Toronto, just off Western Road, was a rooming house. Mm. My mom, I don't know if it was legal or illegal back then. My mom rented out by the room. Uh, it was by the week. 
and then she would change sheets and like i think they would have a little hot plate in there like it was like and i think that was all allowed and then i'm not sure where that ended or if it wasn't allowed anymore i know when we had some student rentals by mcmaster when we would go to insurance they would just like mandate that we didn't allow any hot plates in any rooms and that kind of stuff so in my back of my mind i'm like oh rooming houses are there's are like done but maybe in toronto they've lived on um and now it sounds like maybe the 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 legislation or the rules around them are coming back into place to firm it up a little bit yeah one of my pet peeves with toronto is that um there are still some dominoes that need to fall with our housing policies one is how it relates to multi-tenant units rooming houses the other short-term rentals it is so hard to do those properly that people mostly do them illegally and that's what I've seen. That's just a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's impossible to reasonably operate a rooming house in Toronto right now. The city's trying to work on that and make it so you can reasonably operate them and get insurance and do other things that you need to be an above board uh, operator. Yeah, got it. Um, but a lot of that is just happening illegally. And that needs to change. Like we need either the ability to put more units into a house so you don't need separate tenants mm-hmm. for every bedroom, mm-hmm. which we've done, or they need better rooming house policies so you can functionally operate one without you know, having difficulty getting insurance. Do you know, are other metropolitan centers in North America or anywhere that you're aware of run rooming house policies in a way that you like? Have you heard of these at all? I, I don't have much. Uh, yeah, neither do I, yeah, okay. But uh, there are a lot of cities that are addressing that, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Um, You know, Portland and Seattle and those cities have a lot of very advanced housing policies. Um, So it's happening. Like there is a sea change occurring. And uh, I... I for the first time, I can say Toronto is actually a leader with some respect mm-hmm. when it comes to that topic. Wow. And you're right. It's better than running illegally. I remember when Nick and I were getting into real estate investing at one point, I don't know what book we read or what course we took or what we did, but we thought it was a good idea to get bag signs and say like, we buy houses and like put them all over like the exits of the 427 through Etobicoke there and then along the QEW. How many people sold your houses? We got a lot of calls, crazy calls. And one of the craziest <laughs> ones we got, uh, we never bought a single thing off there, but I think it's just because the people calling scared us. But there was probably opportunity, if we had as much experience as we have now, there's probably great deals in there, but we were just <laughs> petrified of some of the things that were coming our way. But I can tell you, you do get calls. And one of the crazier ones was uh, a guy had this building in Lakeshore Road in Mississauga, and we went by to see it. And it was, I remember it as like a 12 story building. Maybe it was less than that. Couldn't have been that big. Um, And it was run as a rooming house. So it was an apartment building and he had a lot of two bedroom and three bedroom apartments in there. Wow. And all the people in the apartments, each apartment was on, were on individual leases. Wow. So it was totally run like, but he was signing leases with them. But like if he had a three bedroom apartment, the door to the apartment was like a common door. And if there were three bedrooms, he had locks on the doors and three leases in a one three bedroom apartment. And he had the whole building done like that. Interesting. And we looked at the cash flow numbers on it, like as an investor, through the roof. <laughs> like it was like it was like the most fantastic looking num- numbers we'd ever seen. But it just petrified us of like what was happening in that building that we yeah. just ran for the hills. That's fair. That's the fair. locks on all the bedroom door. Like it just looked all sketchy. But he was doing it. So you're right. If they just brought some laws into it to true some of this stuff up, we wouldn't get buildings like that. Yeah. I mean, we need civilized housing opportunities. <laughs> for every yeah, length yeah. of time and size of unit and location. Like, we just need that. We have different housing demands than we had after World War II. Mm-hmm. Like, not everyone's just going to live in an apartment or a single family home. We have 
contract workers and new Canadians and students and people who immigrate to the country and need somewhere to land before they can buy somewhere like that. So, yeah. so we need a mix. It's like the missing middle is yeah, actually missing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obvious. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. What about the going back to the point of Canadians kind of getting their own housing? I guess then this fixes the idea because I've been concerned that like, oh man, the whole idea of like a middle class is kind of getting ripped up here, especially in the GTA, because you get people who own a bunch of assets and you get people who don't own assets. And it mm. just kind of like the gap seems to be widening to me. Mm. Um, does this help with that? Or are you of the belief that, you know, Canadian families don't really need to own a home? That's not something that we should consider as a, like something that they should aspire to do. Well, that's all part of this. I mean, the missing middle is not just about typology. It's about who, like the who, entire middle who class lives in these, who owns them. Like the missing middle are people that want to build a fourplex because they can't afford to buy a house and live in it all by themselves. Like they need opportunities to do that. And a lot of my clients are that missing middle developer. You know, they're like you said, they're not a huge invest investor. They're not just a single family home builder. Like they're the middle. We, we have a missing middle when it comes to who's executing houses in Toronto and in Ontario as well that this is trying to fill. So then I guess these people building these homes, some of your clients, they're in their, you know, I know one of them, Leonid's been on here before. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of a remarkable story, but I guess he's then the class example. In his 30s, um, sees the opportunity to build these and he's going to make income from this for himself. So it's going to be sustain his own life. It gives him opportunity. And he's also serving the community by providing good housing. He's, is he your typical type client that you've been working with? Absolutely. I mean, he's one of my favorite clients because he really thinks differently. One thing that we're doing with Leo that's been really fun is using the fourplex plus laneway garden suite typology to get the building permit really quickly, he can start construction. And then we still go to committee of adjustment to add additional units to the multiplex. So if you're in a really vibrant, dense neighborhood and you're lucky enough to get a lot there, he underwrites it at four plus one and he knows that if that's all he gets, that works. But we can still go to committee and try to get approvals for additional units beyond that. So like six. Yeah. And you're at that point, you're paying development charges on those new units. And it's uh, a bit of a slippery slope compared to just sticking to the four plus one. Just because the numbers get crazier because of the development charges. Yeah. You're paying development charges. You have to go to committee. So you're still facing that subjective of time. Unknown. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's only on two of the seven units on the site. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a risk factor that's attractive, not one that has a potential to tank a project. Mm -hmm. It's just upside. Wow, have you done one of those yet? <clears throat> yeah, we've we've added units to existing multiplexes. We've been doing that for years. Okay, so you've done like six units with a laneway, like something that would I would look at as like a single family lot, but you're turning into seven units on there. Mm -hmm. And that's how a lot of like this missing middle developer we've been talking about, like that's how they get to the next level. Mm -hmm. You know, doing the four plus one is great, but really to get enough revenue to take all your capital out and roll it over again, getting that one or two extra units is very much worthwhile. And so, you know, these developers that are starting to take this on are young guys and they want to find ways to get the edge, 
And this is a good way to do it, like working with a consultant who can help you find that extra unit or two on a property is a difference maker. And it's hopefully going to let them actually start to scale this. Like a lot, so many of my clients want to start buying a lot a month or a lot a week and just mm-hmm. running it like a, like a suburban track sure. home, but yeah. spread out across Toronto. And uh, I like to think there's opportunity for that. And what my office is trying to do is find ways to short circuit the approvals process so we can give them that edge and allow them to do it faster and frankly, with higher revenue. So when do you think Toronto will pass as of right? I'm making you struggle. You had too much fun at the and at the game, man. Yeah, I'm struggling I, today. I lost my voice. Yeah, yeah. Game, so. your, your, your voice is struggling. I don't mean you're struggling. <laughs> I just mean your voice is struggling. Um, it's both. The six. Uh, so when do we get as of right six plexes here this, in Toronto, do you think? Uh, so Councillor Brad Bradford is asking staff to look at improving the multiplex policy. We should find out in Q2 of this year what that looks like, but he's asked them specifically to say, uh, look at a fourth story on a multiplex and six units. I actually think the six units is great. That's something we'll take advantage of immediately. The fourth story is almost useless. Um, That's a fun thing where the building code starts to factor into these projects. Okay. So with a fourplex, it's or even a, a three-story sixplex, it's pretty easy to figure out the building code. You need fire separations between units. Um, you have to do separate HVAC systems for each unit. There's a requirement for non-combustible structure, so we need some steel studs in the sidewall. But other than that, it's just typical house construction. Okay, like it's really easy to understand. Once you get a fourth story, suddenly you have all kinds of problems um, where you have to sprinkler the building. That's okay. one thing. But also, if you're planning on getting a unit that's like a, a walk up to the fourth story, you're losing so much space to stairs that it becomes inefficient. Mm, and if you're it. relying on a common corridor and an elevator, you need two exit stairs and a barrier free ramp to the front so door. So the space required just changes greatly. So you're really the maximum opportunity here, or not the maximum, but the good opportunity is a three story sixplex three stories is great in ontario our building code works really well for that i'm just shocked that you can fit all these hvac units even that i'm shocked that you can get and a laneway in the back i guess just that's just depth of lot and the laneway in the back why do i remember a two-story laneway are you doing a lot of two or basement are you doing basements in the laneways too what's the biggest what is the biggest laneway you've ever built uh so the max as of right laneway suite you can build including the basement is 2400 square feet so it's huge 1700 above grade plus a basement and have you done one of those yep wow Um, they must be beautiful yeah they're they're four bedroom houses they're amazing six bedrooms if you put the basement in and you have that laneway right to your front door which isn't probably being used very much it's great there's, so, and then are you building a garage with the laneway housing? I guess in that type of example, are you always building a garage? Almost never. Because they're parking where? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, don't so it doesn't matter. Yeah, in Toronto, it doesn't matter parking. It depends on where you are. But okay. another cool thing about both the laneway and garden suite and the multiplex policies is they eliminate the parking requirement. So you can provide zero parking spaces, and that's totally fine. It's up to you to determine if there's a market demand for parking mm-hmm. and then put it on your site if you need it. But if you don't need it, just more rentable space. What's the next obvious thing for Toronto to change to improve housing 
you know, you seem really great at looking at some of the different ideas around North America. Now you're saying Toronto's possibly leading the way in some areas. So mm -hmm. maybe there's nothing else. Maybe, maybe we just have to fulfill this, this fourplexes and soon to be hopefully as of right sixplexes. Yeah. Is there anything else that obviously comes to mind to you that like you sometimes say, why are we not doing this? Well, a little further down the road, council's looking at six stories being as of right on what are called major streets in the official plan. Okay, so, six stories, that's a major build now. Like we're not talking wood construction. Yeah, it's a, well, it can be wood construction, um, but yeah, it's apartment buildings. Did we change the building code to allow wood construction on sixplexes recently? Uh, yes, and you're, you're right that normally you do steel studs for most of your load bearing, but wood construction is still a, a major component of a six-story project in Ontario. That seems creepy to me. You're, you're okay then? I don't know. I just, I don't know if I want wood construction on a, on a sixplex, but I well, guess. It's great. I mean, as long as you deal with your sound transmission uh, properly, it's great. And it's low carbon. It's cheaper to build. It's huh. faster to build. Yeah. But does it stay standing? <laughs> That's my concern. So far, so good. <laughs> so, knock on wood. Knock on wood. There we go. Um, let me, uh, yeah, I guess in those build, I grew up on construction sites, and whenever it was that size, we were doing, there was always metal studs, always cement everywhere. It just was not like some of the stuff I see being built now, a little different. But I know the building code's different. Listen, when I first bought my first subdivision home, I'll never forget when the super came in during like one of the walkthroughs before, it was well before the final walkthrough. It was like, taping had been done and Madame had said, Hey, you want to do this walkthrough? And I went through and the guy said to me, he goes, you know, on this wood construction, the structure only gets its strength once the drywall goes in. <laughs> and I remember thinking, holy shit, really? I mean, that's don't partly me, true. Is it partly? Okay. When he said that to me, I'm like, don't, don't ever tell me that. That sounds horrible. And then when I moved into that house on some windy, snowy days, I, I, I swear I called my brother-in-law who's a structural engineer and I'm like, Mario, this house, <laughs> I swear it's moving. He goes, oh yeah, don't worry. Like, I'm, he's a structural engineer. Here, right he's like yeah. these houses have a design where they can kind of like you know there's a little give on certain areas and i forget this is so many years ago maybe he didn't say it with those exact words but that was the way i interpreted what he said i'm like so i hung up the phone I'm like carol i guess our house is we can sway a little bit we're like the cn tower you know <laughs> like we can sway even though we're only two stories well it's it's kind of true like if you just imagine <clears throat> a bunch of vertical studs um you know, they're going to fall over until you attach plywood to one side and drywall to the other. That creates a diaphragm action that prevents it from falling over. So if you have a wind load on one face of your house, the flanking walls are actually relying on your your drywall to resist oh it from folding over. See, I didn't think the brick was just like this veneer. I used to think like the brick was like, hey, man, there's this brick. No, and this not brick. anymore. <laughs> Brick is just a really expensive, heavy cladding material. I had no idea. Like, I really believe, and I grew up on construction sites, and I really believe that, like, the brick served some it purpose. It used to be. I, I mean, a lot of the century homes around Ontario sure. are double or and triple brick. You, and you can see the way they're bricked. And th that's when the brick was the structure. It was also... Uh, your insulation. It was also what kept the insects out. You know, it was a yeah, very yeah, multi-purpose yeah. thing. It was your insulation too. There was like an R factor, I guess, to the way you would bring no, it. No, but... Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> they, they called it an R factor. Um, <laughs> okay. So then what else then can... Sixplexes in Toronto, where I was headed with there with something. Sixplexes in Toronto. Six stories. Six stories, laneway, um, and with laneways. And the, the major street thing to put a bow on that, I hope to come back for, but, um, you know, city planning needs more time to study that. There should be a report uh, end of this year on what that's going to look like. 
and that'll help people understand what how to secure properties for it right now the way we've been looking at it and the other six-story projects we've done you need a good amount of frontage to make it work like sure minimum yep. 50 feet yeah. feet ideally 75 plus but there's also a currently proposed unit cap on it of 29 units um, you, you'll still need to go through site plan control for it like there are barriers okay to that. you're paying Got development it. charges on it at the moment so it's not the silver bullet we think it is. It's a nice middle. So the sweet spot right now for anyone is these fourplexes with possibly a laneway in the back. Yeah, depending on what you're doing, like that's the thing to do or do a mid-rise or a high-rise building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. Have you done any of those yet? Uh, we've done small mid-rise projects, yeah? oh, cool. but not really. Do you want to get into that space? Honestly, no. I I like to get my work done quickly and get architecture out of the way. Okay. And that's why I love the four plus one model. You know, there's no subjectivity. It's all prescriptive. We can design it quickly. We can engineer it quickly. We can get it approved quickly. And then my job's done. So my timeline has become really compressed on these projects, which I love. And so, you know, the fact that I can control how long it takes me to do work also controls my profitability. And I can make the same fees that used to take me a year in six months. Mm and hire more people to work faster. So um, this is what has been working well for me from a business standpoint. And we're designing way more units per year than we ever have before at our firm. And I guess your clients are getting the benefit of your experience here because there's gotta be some cost savings if they're doing this multiple times. I know you're, I see your architecture work, like you do beautiful, you obviously design beautiful stuff. Like if anyone's listening, you go to your website and see what you do, like it's top notch. Like it's not like Thank something you. I would build with like, looks like a rectangle and draw lines. <laughs> we do um, those too if we have to. No, you do those, I'm sure you do, but I'm sure you don't want to. But on the, like for example, Leonid's last project, like. That was just a beautiful structure that you'd put together. But I guess he gets the benefit of you and him working together over time because you can more efficiently produce drawings and stuff for him. So there's going to be, I would say, more profitability for you and some cost savings for him. So it's kind of like a win-win as you establish a relationship over years together. Absolutely. You know, for the architects listening, these policies allow us to really commoditize our services and come up with a price fixed, timeline fixed set of deliverables that allow us to just deliver our services with no questions. And like, sure, the client can still decide to redesign something if they want to, but as long as you make your decisions effectively as a client, you just move through and you're done. Like there's no pivoting because someone appeals you to committee or planning asks you. Yeah, so it's way more fun to do the work now. Third floor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything's out of the way other than just your own work, which is really nice. Are you able to do, I think that one of the biggest things I loved about some of your designs was that you have a walk-up entrance to a fourplex, like not everyone's sharing like a stairwell or something. Is that like a big ask from people building these projects or is that, that something you just like to do? For me, if I had one of those, I would love it that everybody has its own entrance. Yeah, it's obvious. So that's one thing I love about design is like when you see the design, you either like it or you don't. It makes sense or it doesn't. Uh, we have a few key rules when we're designing a multiplex. One is zero common space. So our buildings are 100% leasable, which helps with no maintenance and operation as well, except on the outside. Um, And the other is that we never have a unit more than one flight of stairs from the sidewalk. So to get to your kitchen or living room, you're either going down a flight of stairs to the basement, right in the front door, or up a flight of stairs to the second floor. And where that becomes challenging is with the fourth unit. 
because if you think of a house as, you know, basement unit, ground floor unit, second floor unit, third floor unit, that's a two story walk up. You lose a lot of efficiency with your layouts when you stack all your units that way. Um, it's less attractive to a tenant who has to walk up two flight of stairs to get to the upper unit. So we take our two upper floors and we split them into back to back two story units. Um, and make it so there's two flights of stairs that are separate that go up to two separate units, one with its living space on the back, one with its living space on the front, and then they have their own staircase internal to the unit to get to the bedrooms on the third floor. I love that design. And how's the feedback from tenants on that design? Because I'm sure just coming home with your groceries, it's nice just to be able to walk in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard enough going up one flight yeah, of stairs yeah. with groceries. Uh, it, it's been great. Um, You're it, maximizing the space. There's no common space. There's a lot of benefits about that. So what else? Do you have any other little rules that you live with? Because those are pretty big ones. Those are the big ones. It's really keeping in mind who your user is. Like, these are people that could go rent a condo for the same price. And mm-hmm. yeah, there they it. get a gym. Yeah. And maybe they're in a better location. Mm-hmm depending on what you think is a good location. These are people that like neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be close to their university or their park for their mm-hmm. dog, or maybe they're young professionals, who knows, but they want to live in a neighborhood. So you need to make it feel as close to a house as possible. Um, even though it's essentially the same unit as a condo, you need to make it relate to its neighborhood. Um, And really all our design decisions go into figuring that out. Like how do we make this appealing to someone that's going to say yes to this over a condo? So then um, you're really good at this, Craig, 10 years or 20 years from now. So when you're 48, you're 58. What what do you think Toronto is going to look like when it comes to housing? Is this really going to have taken off and does it have any second order effects that we don't see yet that kind of starts another trend in housing? You must, I, I feel like you're the type of guy that thinks about this stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it will really, we're starting to see the change at the start of my career. Toronto was tall and sprawl. We had towers downtown and then <laughs> two story buildings <laughs> yes. for the entire rest of the city. Um, we were like Florida in that yeah. respect, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing, uh, the avenues have mid rises and now we're seeing houses turn into multiplexes with laneway suites behind them. And the major streets is going to give us a new level of height and density on Streets that are kind of big like an avenue, but kind of small like a residential Mm -hmm. street. So we will have a full gradient of housing options and those will have been deployed for 10 or 20 years. Like that's what we're going to see. Is this going to change the commercial impact in some of the the construction? Because you're just going to have more people. There's going to be more, not requests, more demand for cafes, little bakery. I know Toronto has a ton of that already, but do you see any changes in that world because of this? That that's definitely going to happen. Uh, Laneway suites have been pushing that. One of my friends, Blair Scorgi is looking into like coming up with commercial uses for laneways. Okay. Cause I was just in Lisbon, not just, it was a year ago. I was in Lisbon and we went for breakfast at one place, amazing breakfast. And, uh, it was like in someone's house, but it was like a commercial, like it was a proper commercial. You could see this was an operating business, Yeah. but like we entered kind of like, it was like a, like a, at one point this was just someone's house right. that had been, and it seemed like this was pretty common in the area that this was happening. So I didn't think about that on laneway housing because you're right, it's a separate unit entirely. Laneways are ideal for live work opportunities. And right Mm -hmm. now our zoning bylaws restrict what kind of business you can operate out of your house. Some for good reason. I mean, 
you know, you don't want to be operating a steel fabrication shop out of your basement because that's going to disrupt neighbors. But, you know, why couldn't you have a real estate office in the ground floor mm-hmm. of your laneway suite and live in the apartment above it and have clients come and go? Or why not a bike shop or a cafe if your laneway suite's across from a park? You can serve people breakfast. Like, there's no reason you can't do those things other than archaic policy that people are changing. Mm-hmm. And you, so then at City Hall, I'm just shuddering thinking of politicians. It sounds like and you're bullish on the councillors in Toronto and the ability of politicians, at least the municipal level in Toronto, to think this through. Like yeah. you're, you sound, you're like a breath of fresh air, Craig, because usually I'm like, this is, everything's shit, man. This stuff's <laughs> not changing, but you, you're, you're positive on this stuff. Well, I lived through a firsthand when we were advocating for the laneway policy. Um, people had tried to get laneway housing approved in Toronto before us and failed because the temperament of City Hall was one where, A, they didn't want to take risks on those things because uh, it didn't get them anywhere, and B, their constituents were opposed to it. They weren't mm. asking them for it, and they were voting against them if they tried to do that. Kind but their of constituents thing. still must be voting against it. Well, that's what changed. You know, when we were doing the laneway work, we had a huge groundswell of people in Toronto that would show up to public meetings. It was the best. Like some NIMBY would stand up and say, I don't like how this is going to change the neighborhood. And they get cut off by a guy saying, you shut up. We need housing. Like sit down and mind your own business. Like we were actually seeing people get really aggressive Mm -hmm. about not (laughs) something we didn't want to change. Yeah. And I think a lot of councillors saw that. Plus with the change to council in Toronto, it's a different ballgame there. But, you know, you just mean to change the council younger new generation council got cut in half by the Ford government. So, oh, did it? Every council. See how much I pay attention to politics. (laughs) Disregard. Toronto councillors used to be worried about, you know, you cutting down a tree or building your shed a foot too close. That's the impression I have. Yeah. Now they have way too much work to do to be worried about those minute things. And they're focused on the macro and their constituents are rewarding them for being aggressive with housing policies and coming up with things that are going to allow you and I to make our houses work for us. Has Toronto made enough changes where some other cities are now coming to Toronto and asking what we're doing or no, we're not there yet? Oh yeah, especially around Ontario. We get requests all the time to work on laneway policies elsewhere. Okay, so the other municipalities are like, hey, what worked for you? How can we deploy? Because I feel like we had... Like, for example, I know here in uh, just on something as simple as an excess, you know, an ADU, like a second suite in um, St. Catharines was on fire for a while. And I feel like St. Catharines then just decided, oh, my gosh, like this is too much. And they just made it really difficult. And a lot of the investors that were working out there to build those housing units just moved on elsewhere. Right. So I guess a lot of them, if I'm reading this correctly, jumped into the game, didn't maybe have their act together on what they wanted and didn't want, and then just kind of put a freeze to it. And then kind of that's the reputation that St. Catharines has right now. And maybe that's changing as we speak, but just kind of in the investor community, that's what happened. So I guess some of these communities are coming to Toronto and saying, hey, what's working and not working? They are. And every municipality is different. Like it's all risk reward for whatever council you're referring to. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of cities that put a policy in place for Langway Garden Suites or three units because the province says they have to but they're complete bullshit and they're impossible to actually use to execute a project. Um, Where that's happening, you know, there's no opportunity for investors to go in and actually execute projects. Toronto is a leader in Ontario for that. And there are other municipalities that are following pretty quickly. 
Um, but right now, you know, Toronto is the best place to do it. That's weird to hear. Um, yeah, I didn't think I'd ever say it. No, I didn't think I'd ever hear it. Um, so uh, can you walk me through the time frame of some of your clients to the best of your, your ability, like from buying the lot to getting the design work done, getting the approvals that doesn't seem like you need many now, um, and then doing the, the build, just a rough estimate. I'm not trying to hold you to anything here, sure, but let's sure. say somebody finds a lot and they're about to buy it and they reach out to you and they're like, hey, Craig, I'm about to buy this because I heard you on some you know, crazy podcast and it, I want to do what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, let's engage. What is that? What do you, how do you advise? What's the process looking like in your mind? So we start uh, at the prospecting phase. Like we prepare property assessments for people looking to secure a lot for a multiplex. Okay. So you work on a retainer basis? No, we do it for free. Are you insane, Craig? <clears throat> so yes. you're still young. <laughs> No, this is uh, so you are, good for you. No, you're doing good work. Yeah. This is a model we developed at Landscape yeah. for Landway and Garden Suites. And I've deployed it as well for multiplexes where it's really easy for me to build a calculator where I just plug in your property dimensions and it'll spit out the square footage. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, so you'll engage with people, get going with them when they're looking for lots. I have, yeah, lots of clients who I assist with prospecting, you know, we, we tell them their square footage. <clears throat> approximate unit breakdown, you know, it helps them fill out their pro forma. So when they go to buy it, they know they're above water. Um, and then once the property's secured, that's when we really get to work with a retainer and actual fees. Um, the first thing you need to do is get a survey, like a current survey is always needed and it takes like a month. So that can be a bit of a time, time waster. Hmm. But once that's done, uh, we get to work. We start with preliminary design. And normally we're designing two to three completely different designs for the property that'll test the variables of our client. So like some of our clients, they're not sure if they want to build and flip. They're not sure if mm. they want to own it and cash flow it or condominiumize it and sell one or two units and keep the rest for themselves. There are a lot of off ramps on the multiplex highway. Oh, wow. And have you done the condominium? It's a Stop. new thing. It has been done. We have wow. not done one yet, but okay. we're working on it oh, with a few okay. clients. Cool. And it, that's what we bought in Croatia. We're in a very small building in Croatia and they worked to make it a, a condominium there. It took like four years because yeah. <laughs> it's Croatia. But uh, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't heard about that here. Well, it's not always practical. It depends yeah. where you are and what type of unit you have. So we'll design something that optimizes for each of those scenarios okay. or whatever the other variables are we're testing. Usually it's, you know, bigger units versus smaller units, more bedrooms versus sure. fewer bedrooms, whatever. Um, you kind of pick the one that's right for you. You can use those designs to get costing and revenue feedback from builders and real estate agents. And once that's determined, we're off to the races. First step in Toronto is zoning approval. Mm -hmm. So we apply for that quickly. And while that's being reviewed, you know, we have so much certainty with the new bylaws yeah. that we know we're going to get a clean zone yeah. back yeah. and we can keep going with schematic design and design development. So we're trying to run our work in parallel with the city's work. Oh, wow. So it's a lot know what the outcome's going to yeah. be. And as soon as the zoning review comes back and engineering comes back, we have apply for building permit. Okay. So it's normally six months. If you have a survey done already, it can be five months. Mm -hmm. If you want to pay my staff overtime, it can be four months. Mm -hmm. um, That's not too bad, though. And our clients are really trying to negotiate long closings. So got it. So you, you start can get process. a three or four month closing. Yeah, we're laughing. Mm -hmm. Like in some rare cases, we can get building permits before you've gone firm on a property. Oh wow! 
Okay. And then it's your client typically finding the contractor at this point, I guess. You're starting to, I'm sure, get to know some of these contractors. So your Rolodex of these will build out, I'm sure, over time as it is already, I'd assume. But that uh, they're engaging with the contractor. And then when do you, when does your work kind of tail off? At that point, once we've handed over the building permit and That's, construction docs, we're just there in a support role as needed. Okay. Um, and yeah, we work with a few builders that are getting pretty good at doing multiplexes. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our clients self-execute, so they have their own builder or their own build team on staff. Yeah, got it. Um, there's a million ways there's to do be, it. There being some of them, I'm sure, trying to be the general contractor themselves too. Yeah, and honestly, those are the ones that get like the best construction. Get value, into the weeds, yeah. Not yeah. paying a fee to a GC. Some of the contractors that are getting good at it, what is it that they're doing that are they're getting good at? Just understanding this lot and like, I don't know, it's, how to it, pour the foundation so it's on understanding it. how to cost and execute steel studs, multiple HVAC units. Oh, okay. Because that's uh, not common. And the servicing yeah. requirements. Yeah. Oh, but and the like servicing requirements because of, of the laneway? Yeah. Especially if yeah. you're going for MLI Select, um, you almost definitely are going to need a 400 amp electrical service. Okay. That's the CMHC financing that yes. has a requirement of that type of service? So, yeah. To, to deviate onto that, the CMHC requirement... Uh, has three different buckets you have to fulfill to qualify for the financing. One is affordability. So if That's you, right. yeah, you yeah. tie your rental rates to whatever their affordability index is, they take that. Or accessibility, where if you basically create one unit that's barrier-free, you qualify. And the third is energy efficiency and greenhouse gas reduction, which almost all of our clients do. Um, there you have to have a 40% reduction in both. And really what that means is your exterior insulation goes from about an inch and a half to three inches in most cases, and you're picking all electric HVAC equipment. Mm -hmm. And the electric is the big one because you're not relying on gas. You need 400 amps. Yeah, got it. And that service can take a month to get installed or it can take a year. How are you feeling about the electric HVAC stuff? Doesn't scare you a little bit? No. I'm old school. I'll, no, no. I want the gas. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, gas stoves and barbecues are definitely luxury items you have to think hard about. Mm -hmm. But the HVAC stuff that's all electric is easy. There's equipment that works well in Ontario, and uh, it's no problem. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So okay. anyway, the builders that understand that are the ones that can succeed. Because when they give yeah. you a price for a multiplex, if they just think it's two by fours and fiberglass insulation, you're going to get a Got number it. that's okay. realistic. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to juggling trades, you know, you can't have one framer. You need a steel stud framer and a wood framer mm -hmm. or both, uh, or, or someone who can do both, I mean. Um, and if they're separate, you have to be able to interface them on a site. So those pitfalls can add months to your build time, which is a complete killer. You need someone that has been through it before and knows how to do it quickly. And then are you consulting on any of the sound barrier between the units? Are there any tips or tricks on that between these units that really kind of reduce noise? Yeah, the this is another thing. The Ontario Building Code is really great. It has really good requirements for energy efficiency. It also has good requirements for sound attenuation. Uh, but we try to go above and beyond that because there's also things like smell attenuation yeah, yeah, that yeah. you don't think about often. And so we spec good assemblies between our units. We try to design them so there's minimal exposure between units for sound transmission. Got it. It's inevitable in a multiplex, but there are ways to do it where you can be effective. With so just the sheer design, because I remember we had a duplex with a bedroom underneath a... Uh, kitchen eating area and the upstairs was a family and the 
downstairs was a young couple who worked night shift. And let's just say like the noises that were coming from the bedroom were upsetting the young family. Like, is it like <laughs> while they were having breakfast, I guess like the shift. So it ended up being a bit of a disaster for us. My first house I renovated, I put a basement apartment in it, of course. And if my tenants burnt bacon, I yeah. smell it. Yeah, that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, so that really changed my thinking on this. When I built my second house, I, it still had a basement apartment, but I really focused on air transmission and sound transmission. And it was like a bunker. Like I didn't hear a peep out of them. I never smelled a thing. <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, why would why would you not make it like that? So I guess the design really can't even be important on these fourplexes. Just the, the, what rooms are butting up next to each other and so forth. And where it's important is your vacancy rate. You know, if mm -hmm. you have a tenant that's comfortable and happy in their unit, they're going to stay there longer. Mm -hmm. And the less turnover you have, that's those those critical months in between tenants where you're carrying the property get diminished. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Craig, this is pretty cool. Anything else that you wanted to, like this opportunity to me, like just hearing you say it, it just seems like this, I, every time I hear it, I, ju I just think this is the big infill, whether you're doing it in Kitchener or Hamilton or St. Catharines or Toronto, it's the big opportunity. And Toronto now with all of these updates just seem like a huge opportunity that for years we just dismissed. Like I'm born in Toronto, grew up in Mississauga, but when we started getting into real estate, kind of as a way to protect our, we entered real estate as a way to protect our purchasing power, almost like a savings vehicle. Hmm. Um, but now with all of these changes, it just seems like Toronto is, presenting an opportunity that only the suburbs presented to us before because the suburb, we could buy a property in Hamilton and we were buying single family homes in Hamilton for like $205,000, <laughs> three bedroom, fully detached, 60 foot lot driveway up the side yeah. and just renting it out yeah. and you're providing great housing and we didn't have to do anything. Well, that kind of ship has sailed and this seems like the next great opportunity. And if you have some experience and you're not scared of the unknown, your competition's gonna really diminish because, and again, I know you know a lot of people doing this, but on the whole, there's a huge opportunity here that isn't being attacked aggressively yet. Hmm. And I just think the next 10 years, this opportunity for anyone who's young, um, or, or you know, my age, older, whatever, everybody, it just- uh, You're still young. Yeah, I don't know, sometimes I, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I am. I am on the lap back, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when we first met, I feel like I've been trying to convince you that Toronto is a land of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just because- And I might be starting to just crack. I think you're starting to crack it. We haven't done anything ourselves, but then you said something interesting when you were talking about, uh, you mentioned just Florida and this popped into my mind. We know a builder in Florida who is, you know, they have just identified different lots. So this is on a different scale. It is Florida across the state. And they're taking three designs. They have a single family home design, yep. a duplex and a quad. And they're just buying infill projects. And they're just putting in that, you know, yeah. that house over and over and over again. And they're doing it at scale. They're doing about 800 plus of these a year. Right. And no one's competing against them really because the big builders are still doing subdivisions. Mm -hmm. The little investors doing like the one property and kind of fixed, you know, tearing down the kitchen, fixing it up. And they found this opportunity where they're just, they're killing it. They're producing great housing. They're great, you know, for the tenants who are buying them. They're great for the people, the investor who's buying them and offering that housing. And I just see now in Toronto, it's a, it's a little different with the fourplexes and laneway, but it's still similar in that. You can have these designs, you know someone like yourself, find these lots, if the math on the lot size works, 
you drop in these things, you can make them look beautiful. Like looking at your designs is, you know, j just stunning. No, really, like your your stuff is absolutely beautiful. You flatter me. No, no, it really is. I mean, you know, it takes for a, a, a lot for me to say that, trust me. <laughs> um, it's beautiful stuff. And uh, it just seems like just this massive opportunity. And I guess maybe I'm talking about it like this because maybe I'm just wondering myself why we haven't, you know, done this ourselves yet, that's all. Well, you're right, you know, you never, you rarely go gangbusters on your first one, right? It's your second yeah, project yeah, is yeah, better. Totally. And, yes. and the third yeah. and there out is awesome because you've got to figure it out at that point. Yeah. This is the first time at anything bigger than a laneway suite and smaller than a high rise that you can systematize a development opportunity and you know execute it quickly, take your money out and go do it again quickly. So I'm hopeful that this is going to create um, like a new industry in Toronto where developers are going to see this as a scalable solution that exactly like your friends in Florida are doing, like build a calculator, plug it in. If it makes sense, you buy it and you do it and you move on. Like it's going to be a great way to. And it also gives me a little bit of hope for the younger generation, because I think the young generation coming in has been blocked from a bunch of different opportunities. And now I see an opportunity that exists that didn't exist that long ago. And it can be a revenue, a revenue producer, an asset builder for them. And you're serving the community at the same time by providing housing. So the opportunity here, if you're younger, thinking that, oh my gosh, like all the real estate investing opportunities are over, Craig's working with people who are young, who are killing it on this stuff. And I say killing it, meaning that like they're succeeding. They're doing this, they're building beautiful properties, they're renting them out mm -hmm. and it's working. So it just, uh, it, it's you're bringing like a positive energy to Toronto and the idea that there's opportunity for the younger generation. This is a symptom of a, a very big problem, as you mentioned, that still deserves a lot of attention, but in the meantime, it's an opportunity. Yeah. So Craig, where, um, yeah, is it craigrace.com? When they go to your website, what are they going to find? They'll see some pictures of projects. They can reach out to you. Yeah. Craigrace.com. It's got some of our portfolio. Uh, it's pretty dense on the custom homework, but we have a few multiplexes on there. More importantly, it's got our socials. If you want to follow us, uh, and a contact form, you can also just email us info at craigrace.com. And we're happy to provide property assessments for multiplexes and help people really understand either if the property they have is something that's developable or if they're prospecting, keep sending me addresses and I'm happy to keep giving you insight. I feel like a few years from now on that website, you're going to have some of the most beautiful case studies ever where you can show, and you might already have this, but a few years from now, you're going to have quite an asset base of case studies of projects that you've taken from a lot to four, five, six units. And it's going to be, it's going to drive a lot of business for you. So I don't know if you're putting that on there yet. We're trying. Yeah. Like these policy changes are so new. I know. Um, yeah. We have a lot underway right now. Um, and hopefully a lot that will be finished this year and next year. And uh, I hope to get many of them on our website. Yeah, because I, I don't think people fully realize how beautiful the properties are. When um, Anthony and our team and Aiden, my son, went out to take the video of that one project that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. um, that you took the single family lot and you designed it so that it's like 10 units total mm -hmm. for your client there. Mm -hmm. um, like it, they were, ju they just came back raving about it. And the feedback of those videos on our YouTube channel about that is just, has been fantastic. I don't, I don't think people can visualize it until you see it. Well, and you know, I'm so appreciative of you guys covering it because you're right. You need to walk through it. You need to see it on video. It, it's, it's amazing yeah. what you can do with these yeah, things. Yeah, agreed. 
Craig, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming here from Florida and uh, and flying in. Go Eagles. Maybe next year. Maybe it's next the Bills year this year, Craig. It's the Bills year. I like the Bills. That'd be Dude, great. All right, you're on the Allen. Uh, I, I like Detroit too. Yeah. I don't know if that's and, offensive to you, but no, no, no. I feel bad for Detroit, and they're doing great. So how can I want both those teams to go? To yeah. You. As long as the Bills win, Detroit's okay to do well. <laughs> Craig, thank you, man. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Craig. You can find out more about his services and what he does and contact him by visiting his website, craigrace.com. That's C-R-A-I-G race, R-A-C-E. So craigrace.com, you can check him out there. And if you are listening to this and you wanna find out what we're doing with the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, and it's always changing. This year we're introducing something called the Investor Advantage Series, and that's gonna be introduced to Rockstar Inner Circle members shortly, almost as I'm recording this. You can find out all the details of the membership and what we're doing by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. Until next time, your life, your terms.